This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We mark November as an awareness month for many important issues. One that definitely deserves more attention is the lung condition known as COPD chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, the number four cause of death in the U.S., a common respiratory condition with limited airflow that comes in different forms. Today, we are welcoming two international superstars in the COPD world, Dr. Ruth Tausinger from the COPD Foundation and Dr. David Menino, one of the co-founders of the COPD Foundation, a pulmonary specialist and professor from the University of Kentucky. And we'll also hear about the Great American Smokeout from Kate Mistalski from the American Cancer Society. So we begin with Dr. Ruth Tausinger, President and Chief Scientific Officer from the COPD Foundation, internationally recognized as an innovative, patient-focused, highly analytical healthcare leader and clinical scientist with extensive research and development experience and a very impressive career. Welcome, Ruth. So happy you could join us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Ruth, for our listeners, COPD refers to chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and we'll go into more detail later in the show, but for now, it includes different forms of lung disease, such as emphysema, chronic bronchitis. What's the mission of the COPD Foundation? The COPD Foundation is a patient-centered organization that is committed to preventing COPD, bronchiectasis, and non-tuberculous mycobacterial, or also called NTM, lung disease. We're focused on research, seeking cures, while improving the lives and advocating for all affected. Mm-hmm. And so I love the logo. Your website, by the way, is beautiful and very easy to navigate. Not all websites are user-friendly, but your pinwheel logo, that represents the 360-degree approach to engaging people from the community, patients, caregivers are at the center, I would guess, healthcare professionals, researchers, academic institutions, the government, advocacy groups, industry leaders. Tell us about that, if you would. 
Yeah, the whole idea is that everybody's coming together under a common mission, which is to raise awareness through education, to support our patient and caregiver community internationally, to advocate for patient treatments and innovative research, and also to seek or uh, to prevent lung disease and ultimately find a cure. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about education, uh, obviously the patients and their caregivers need to learn more, but you mentioned also that a lot of times the diagnosis is made in the primary care setting. So you want to educate um, the primary care docs how to recognize it more quickly and, and at an earlier stage, the earlier the better with any disease, but also uh, nurses, respiratory therapists. Tell us a little bit about that because I know your educational materials are fantastic. Thank you. So we have a pretty uh, broad online, as you mentioned, our website. So we have an online community. We have uh, CPD360 Social, which is a moderated online community like Facebook, but uh, we have about 52,000 members and in 151 countries. They're both patients, caregivers, but also healthcare professionals. We have a lot of printed materials uh, in, in English and in Spanish. Uh, we're working on other languages. And we want to make sure that everybody gets information the way that they learn. Mm -hmm. And I know you're including graphics for those people who don't speak English fluently, printing in Spanish and Braille. I was really impressed yes, to hear about that. Yes, I, I new. used to teach yeah. Braille um, and advocacy. You're helping patients with access to oxygen therapy. And I think that became more competitive with COVID with more people needing oxygen. Tell us about the warning you give to patients. This is really yeah. important. Thank you. The biggest warning is that there are a lot of online sources of unapproved oxygen devices and supplies. They make a lot of false promises and a lot of unreal, unrealistic promises. So we want people to know that it's only a prescription treatment, not to buy anything online. Mm -hmm. Because there are people out there who don't have your best interest at heart. And then innovation and regulatory spaces. Right now, the outcomes that are considered are decreased lung function, sort of the extremes, exacerbations, which means you have a flare and you have pneumonia or something, or death. And you want to get moving on patients at an earlier point when they're breathless and address what other early issues. Yeah, we find that disease is diagnosed too late. So there are outcomes that are important to our patients, like the ability to perform the activities of daily living, exercise capacity. Symptoms are a big issue for our patients. But today, there are no regulatory outcomes that are associated with lung imaging, which occurs before COPD happens. And that's what we want to innovate. Of course. If people want to visit your website, copdfoundation.org. Yes, and I just want to mention lastly that the COPD 360 net is your program to expedite clinical trials which are so sorely needed for better treatments and hopefully a cure. Yes, absolutely. So we're trying to develop much needed therapies, medical devices, and telehealth apps. And we want to say that this past Wednesday was World COPD, COPD Day. Day. Yes. And th thanks to people like you and Dr. Dave Menino we're about to hear from we're making great strides. Thank you for joining us, Ruth. Really appreciated you coming today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. I am very pleased to announce my colleague and friend, Dr. David Menino, 
professor of medicine from the University of Kentucky with an international reputation for his research in COPD. Until 2020, he was the top researcher in the world. That's the entire world. He's still in the top 10. He's too humble to admit that. Um, With over 400 publications, he's currently the medical director and the co-founder of the COPD Foundation you just heard about. In his early days, he helped develop the National Asthma Program at the CDC, then became chief science officer for the Air Pollution and Respiratory Health Branch at the CDC. And this is really special. To be an endowed chair of a department is massive. He's the Kurt W. Deutschel Chair of the Department of Preventive Medicine and Environmental Health. I hope I pronounced that properly, Dave. Um, Also the former Director of Graduate Studies in Clinical Research Design and Director of Pulmonary Epidemiology Research Laboratory. And from 2017 to 2020, worked at GlaxoSmithKline as a medical expert focused on COPD. Many other leadership positions, seats on editorial boards of several medical journals. Dave, when did you have time to breathe? That's a pulmonary joke. Yes, well, and breathing is very important. So, Woo! <laughs> breathing is good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they'll always take time to breathe. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's just wonderful to reconnect with you. We were residents together, and uh, I do want to add. I sound like your stage mother, but Dave is a Doogie Hauser because he finished college and medical school in five years. That's a feat that not many people can say. But I guess that gave you time to to uh, write 400 publications. But Dave, thank you. And it's just awesome to have you today. And thank you, Marianne. Of course. So COPD, um, what is it? And we know it's the number four cause of death in the United States. It's characterized by breathlessness. Some people also have fatigue and a chronic cough with or without mucus. I hate that word. But uh, what are the different types of COPD? Can you help us understand the differences among them? Absolutely. And COPD is, is an umbrella term that, uh, you know, like for other diseases, uh, when, when we met, talk about COPD, people have different varieties. You know, for example, and, and the cardinal sort of categories of COPD are chronic bronchitis, and that's basically the people that cough and spit. And then there is uh, a component of emphysema. These are basically Swiss cheese type holes in your lung. Uh, there is a subset of people uh, with who have asthma, who have what we call chronic obstructive asthma, uh, and then uh, and there are people with chronic infections that we call bronchiectasis because of enlarged uh, airways. And patients with COPD can have any or all of these components. And, and one of the things that we explain to patients, particularly people that have a new COPD diagnosis, and, and they sort of have a vision of COPD that is uh, you know, maybe rather negative. And, and something I try to explain to them is that, that, that this comes in, in, in a number of different varieties. And everybody has their own sort of personal pathway journey. And, and, you, and you can't necessarily uh, transfer the, the experience of one person with COPD to, uh, to another person because it can be very different. Mm-hmm. So when I think of the lungs, I always try to teach my medical students, it's the main bronchus or the main highway that branches into left and right and then smaller branches, and then the leaves on the tree are the alveoli, or the little sacs where the, the work of air and carbon dioxide are exchanged, right? Would you say it that way? So some of those people, the tiny air sacs, lose their ability to stretch and shrink back, and others, as you say, the Swiss cheese cases, the walls between those little sacs just disappear, and, 
And I guess depending on the combination of what's happening in a particular person determines their symptoms and your treatment. That's why it's so important to uh, distinguish, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and the example you give is, is a great one uh, because the, and the two sort of main flavors of, of CUPD are, are the uh, one is a problem related to the airways. So those are sort of the conducting uh, tubes, sort of the, you know, the branches on the uh, tree get narrow. So it's tougher for air to move in and move out. And then the other problem relates to, uh, to the leaves, you know, where we actually have fewer or leaves uh, on the tree, and that's sort of like the, the destruction of the air spaces. And, and both are bad, and patients frequently may have both, mm-hmm. you know, but sometimes you have people that have predominantly airway issues, and in, in other cases, uh, you have people that have predominantly sort of the, uh, you know, the loss of the leaves, sort of the, what we call uh, the, the more emphysematous uh, mm-hmm. part. And, and, and many people have both, mm-hmm. uh, but, but, uh, but, but clearly both are important. And uh, as you mentioned, the main job of the lungs is to get oxygen from the atmosphere into the body and to remove carbon dioxide mm-hmm. uh, from the body. And uh, you know, if there are, are problems along the way, either in the airways or uh, in, in the uh, business part of the lungs down in, in the leaves, uh, that, that that those functions can be disturbed. Mm -hmm. And I guess, too, we're going to talk about the causes. One of the causes is smoking cigarettes. And if that inflammation attacks the lining of your airway, which is that shiny surface that we call mucosa, just like inside your cheeks or your stomach or that lining, if that becomes inflamed and thickened, mucosa makes mucus, right? So if somebody's airway is inflamed, it becomes thickened, swollen, naturally, if the tunnel is narrow, it's harder for air to piss in. And, uh, and then if we add mucus, congestion, and, and it just it makes more sense when you uh, describe it like that. So, Dave, you already mentioned this. There's asthma, and then there's obstructive asthma. So if somebody has asthma, that's not always considered a type of COPD. Am I right? Uh, correct. And, uh, and, and, and particularly in younger people, uh, you know, people have asthma where their airways will will tighten up for one reason or the other. Typically, it's 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 in response to some type of exposure, but it can be a result of an infection. I have a seven year old granddaughter who has you know mm. asthma. Every time she gets a respiratory infection, she starts wheezing, and and she has to get wow. treated with. And, and that's fairly common. But between episodes, she's fine. And mm-hmm. and I imagine, and, and and that's actually a fairly Common manifestation uh, of asthma, uh, mm-hmm. but you know there are some people with 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 asthma where their airways never really come back to normal between episodes, and that's what we call chronic obstructive asthma, which actually is is a bit of a subtype of COPD. And if you actually look at risk factors for COPD in adults, a a history of asthma as a child is in fact a, an important risk factor. Mm-hmm. Even if you've never smoked, it bumps your risk by like five times. You've said, uh, yeah, correct. Actually, it's it's a, a far bigger risk in people who have never smoked compared to to smokers. You, you know, asthma being a risk, it, mm-hmm. it increases the risk probably five to tenfold in never smokers and, and, and people with you know, who are say current and former smokers. It may double or triple the risk, uh, but it's because uh, smoking itself is is a huge risk for the development of COPD. Mm-hmm. So we talk about the risk factors for COPD. Smoking is the most common risk, but 
I didn't know until you told me that up to 25% of people have never smoked. But what are the risks that lead them into problems? Uh, yes, in, in the U.S., and, and I always, you know, preface that that twenty twenty five percent. You know, talking about the, and the U.S. and and uh, and higher income countries where where smoking is fairly common, um, or at least has uh, historically been been fairly common. Yeah, about, you know, twenty twenty five percent of people who have evidence of, of of COPD based on spirometric measurement have never smoked, and in, in those people, there are are other risk factors. Uh, I, I mentioned asthma. Uh, there's uh, there there's exposure to other pollutants, secondhand smoke being historically uh, an important one. And when you and I were growing up, we, we talked about uh, even going through medical school and residency that people were allowed to smoke in the hospital back in the yes. late seventies and eighties. Yes. Fortunately, those days are are behind us. But mm-hmm. uh, but uh, things like secondhand uh, smoke exposure, uh, certain occupational exposures. If you work in in a dusty environment or where you're exposed to, to vapors or, or fumes. I just reviewed a paper of, of people you know, working, say, in refineries or around uh, uh, gasoline, uh, higher risk of, uh, of COPD. In, in my part of the world, I live in Kentucky now, and, and people who have worked in coal mines uh, even as never smokers, as just uh, being exposed to the underground dust, uh, have, mm-hmm. a, have a ri- higher risk of developing uh, both chronic bronchitis and emphysema. And, and then, of course, th- there's 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 the genetic component. You know, you know, and when I've been asked, well, you know, what proportion of COPD is related to genetics? I always say 100 percent, because in truth. The truth is that every chronic disease is is a product of one's genetic makeup and and one's environmental exposures. Of course, in the world of COPD, although that's still true, uh, the known genetic risk factor for the development of COPD uh, is uh, is alpha one antitrypsin deficiency, and that's probably responsible for somewhere to a, of, of one to two percent of known COPD cases. But you know that mm-hmm. I, I I am convinced that you know there's a, a large genetic component. It's probably uh, as is true for many diseases related to multiple genes because uh, because we've uh, you know despite looking very hard, uh, and, and there's some genetic signals that have emerged, but we don't have yet a, a COPD gene that has sort of popped up that uh, is now sort of a, a target for, for looking at potential interventions. And you're right, the genes, we can never forget that even though there might not be a, an isolated gene, my Aunt Kitty smoked two packs a day till she was 85 and then thought, maybe this isn't so good for me, and it got to be 97, whereas you hear stories of people in their 40s with lung cancer. So we know not all rest respiratory symptoms come from COPD, and we have to distinguish it from other causes of shortness of breath. So just routine labs for starters, like your blood count to look for anemia. You have your, if your blood count's low, your heart has to work harder to get the oxygen around. We look at chemistries uh, for kidney function, thyroid, all these things, if they're off balance, can make you short of breath, even neuromuscular disease. You talked about alpha-1. And then how do you use imaging and pulmonary function studies, Dave, to make the diagnosis? Well, certainly the one of the, the most important components, uh, you know, both historically and in the present for looking at lung disease is to measure a person's lung function. And and that test, uh, which has been around for 170 years in, mm-hmm. its, in its earlier forms, is called spirometry. And that measures, you know, how fast, how both the total amount of 
uh, air one can hold in your lungs and how quickly you can blow it in and out. Uh, and, and that is is one component of fun- lung function. There are also you know, several others that you know, we can perhaps talk about in the next segment. Okay, very good. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. David Menino from University of Kentucky. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. We are back on Your Radio Doctor and so fortunate to have Dr. David Menino from the COPD Foundation, in fact, the director. Dave, we were talking about other reasons for shortness of breath, and I meant to say heart failure in itself can make a shorter breath. But then I wanted to talk to you about your whole goal is to find a cure, and one step before that is better treatment, and to find it earlier. So we're just fortunate, I think, um, if you do a chest x-ray for some other reason, like before hip surgery or some pre-op reason or, or a CAT scan to look for source of fever, and you say, gee, I see... Um, findings of COPD that the patient didn't have symptoms or maybe adapted to being short of breath. Tell us about that. What imaging do you use to yeah, and, and certainly the and the role of, of imaging, particularly in, in in recent years, that we now have low dose CT scans that are being used uh, to to screen for lung cancer. And, and actually, the uh, Preventive Services Task Force just dropped the age for lung cancer screening to fifty. It had been 55, uh, and, and you need a smoking history. Uh, but, but that in itself, that, that we are now seeing that those images are, uh, are detecting uh, uh, COPD, that might be in its earlier stages. So that is, uh, and actually, uh, you know, Ruth and I were a part of the imaging workshop a couple of weeks ago that was actually looking at how that data, and there's a lot of data, of course, in, in, in imaging. Unfortunately, right now, uh, the, you know, the reports that you get, you know, just sort of give you an impression. It's like, well, it looks like there might be some emphysema there. So we don't, you know, quite have a, a numerical sort of score or, or it's something that gives you more of a, a potential risk. But, but certainly, yes, you know, when you are either working up a patient or trying to evaluate some shortness of, of, of breath uh, or just getting a, a CT scan for another reason, reason. Uh, if if uh, there is evidence of, of uh, emphysema is what will typically pop up, although you, you can actually see airway thickening, uh, we call a, a thickened uh, you know, a bronchus, uh, that it can also be suggestive of, of the uh, bronchitic or the airway component of COPD. So that, yeah, that will you know, pop up on, on imaging. And also, uh, and these other what we call comorbidities, the other diseases that travel along with COPD uh, can also be detected on on imaging. Of course, what we are screening for is lung cancer, and patients with COPD are, I mean, even if, if you account for smoking history, are three to four, four times more likely to develop lung cancer, uh, also more likely to have heart disease and, and, and develop heart failure. So these are all, uh, all, all things. And, and, and as you had mentioned earlier, not everybody who is short of breath has COPD. It can be related to heart disease. 
it can be related to, to being out of shape and, and obesity. And, and, and certainly that's, that's something that we uh, see. Uh, people that are extremely anemic. I had uh, one of my daughters was, you know, you know, when you know, she got on, after she'd come back from college, she says, I get short of breath just sort of, you know, mm-hmm. you know walking around and, or running. She was a runner. And uh, we actually sort of sent her for a, a work up and ended up, you know, she just was anemic. And, and that was something that we had to address with some iron hmm. well we know dave that smoking causes let's say 75 percent, or it puts you on the road to copd but cigars and pipes pipe smoking also increase your risk for copd and lung cancer because you maybe people say oh i don't inhale the cigar but you're still making puffs of smoke that you inhale so you kind of do still inhale right and then there are so many health issues caused by or associated with or made worse by smoking you mentioned asthma Especially if you're a young, you know, child or adolescent in the presence of secondhand smoke, Burgers disease. Tell us about that a little bit. Oh well, yeah, and there are a number of different uh, and diseases that are 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 you know caused or, or worsened by smoking. Uh, Burgers disease is a vascular disease, and that is something that uh, you know that we will see in in our patients. Um, you know, periodically, uh, heart disease, uh, a number of different cancers. People think about lung cancer, uh, but even and, and, and your malignancy, colon cancer, and uh, and certainly I, I think a, a gastric and esophageal cancer, bladder cancer. Yeah. Uh, a number of different malignancies are related uh, or, or, or worsened uh, by by cigarette smoking. So yeah. it's yeah. When you think about it, uh, and, and cigarette smoke has has. You know, thousands of different substances in there, including over forty known cancer-causing agents, we call carcinogens, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and and this is you know, so it's a, of no surprise that 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 people with these you know, you know, it's, you know it's, what's really surprising to me is there are people out there like your aunt Kitty who have smoked for all these years and and end up don't developing uh, uh, malignancies, mm-hmm. and and that it goes back to you know, I think you know the difference in in our genetic makeup and some people just have you know have you know for some reason or another have better sort of cancer surveillance but if you look at mm-hmm. at uh, particularly you know some of the big historic data you know you know, you know Richard Dahl's British data you know showed that on average uh, and, and this was the uh, what's called the British doctors uh, study back when doctors smoked this is back in the 40s uh, you know doctors who smoked died on average uh, six to eight years earlier than doctors who had never smoked. And, yeah. and and that uh, and that you know sort of has been confirmed time and time again. Even though as we've made incredible advances in medicine and healthcare, the the risk of of smoking you know, for not only you know cancers and heart disease and, and respiratory disease uh, mm-hmm. you know continues to be a, a strong risk factor. Mm-hmm. And we know that it's a co- it can be a cause of diabetes. Smokers are thirty to forty percent more likely to develop type two diabetes. And if you stop smoking, it has a greater benefit on your survival than any other intervention, like even controlling your sugars. That's pretty important too. But you talked about heart disease, stroke. We did a show on fertility some months ago, and smoking decreases fertility. More likely to have stillbirths, miscarriages. Uh, increased likelihood of low birth weight. And we know that nicotine is passed through 
a mother's milk when she's nursing. So it, it also increases the risk of SIDS. So it's so scary and, and um, it seems so obvious, but I guess when you're young and invincible, you think, oh, it's kind of cool to smoke. Um, and you mentioned cancers in the GI world. Of course, nicotine causes reflux and acid reflux leads to Barrett's esophagus and esophageal cancer, but also stomach. Pancreas is the new guy in town that's just exploding, especially in younger women. And uh, cigarette smoking bumps that risk. Some ovarian cancers, kidney cancer, bladder. Remember, memorize it in med school. Bladder cancers related to smoking. Um, so it's it's kind of scary. And hope that people are listening. Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer death for men and women. And seventy seventy five percent of lung cancer patients are smokers. So. If we could break that chain, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes, I, actually, I think for I thought for lung cancer the number was higher. I thought it was more like you know eighty-five to ninety percent. So uh, and 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 it's uh, although that you know that's changing as as the uh, as the prevalence of smoking has decreased. Uh, and you now sort of see other sort of risk factors that emerge. But you, you talked about fertility. One of my early papers at, C at CDC uh, yeah, I looked at the link between smoking and, um, you know, we called it impotence at the time. It's now called sure. erectile dysfunction. But it, it was cool. At, at, at one point, it hasn't sort of happened in the U.S., but in other parts of the world, it actually made it onto cigarette packs. A, a, a sort of a, a little limp cigarette with, uh, you, know, oh. you, know, you know, with, with a warning. So I, it was sort of nice to see that, and uh, and think, gosh, I, I had a, a part in that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you've had a part in a lot of beautiful work, Dave. And people who smoke fewer than five cigarettes a day don't think it doesn't affect your body, um, because on average, even cutting back doesn't protect you from an early death. And, uh, you know, you hear people say, well, I only smoke when I'm at a party. But people that even smoke in whatever we call social situations have a similar blood pressure and cholesterol levels to people who smoke regularly. So not good. Cigarettes, whenever I see a patient, they say they smoke. I say, Dr. Richie says, the Richie rule, it's fine to use cigarettes if they're made of candy or bubble gum, right? Chocolate or bubble gum is good. Um, so vaping, that is not our friend either. Let's talk about that, Dave. We have about four minutes left. The battery-operated device that is shaped like a cigarette or they have vaping pens and mods. And as I understand it, there's a cartridge where you put liquid or wax that has nicotine flavorings and glycerol or propylene to keep it moist to get a good vape. Some people add cannabinoids. And then there's a heating chamber and a battery. Tell us why this is not a good idea. Yeah, well, it, I, I, you know, the problem with with vaping and all these e electronic products is that is that we don't have enough, you know, data. You know, these are you know unstudied. I, I had you know, when we were talking earlier, I, I had said that you know this is very much like uh, low tar cigarettes back thirty years ago. That you know we had thought, well, or, or, or some people thought. I never thought this, but some people thought, well, it may, these may be less hazardous. Uh, and the problem with with vaping is is that you're superheating. Uh, you, know, you know, somebody had once described vaping devices to me as high tech crack pipes. And basically, mm. you are, and you're taking something, and you're superheating it, 
to get it into lungs so that it, it then sort of you know delivers whatever it is into your bloodstream into your brain as quickly as possible uh, and it's and it, it's just sort of doing that with electronics and and like and for example some of these cartridges uh, and, you know one little cartridge and people may go through several of them a day may contain as much nicotine uh, as an entire pack or, or more of cigarettes so uh, and, and, you know so we don't know you know what what the damage of of these will uh, ultimately do down the road you know when patients say well these are these a safer alternative i say i don't think so you know our lungs were sort of designed to breathe air and anything else is problematic and uh, and, and we're not going to have the answer for several years but i think dave people see the they, they think it's like a steam or or a you know, a clear vape that's not cigarette smoke, it's not cloudy, so it must be okay. It's like, it's like a nebulizer. It's not because even the glycerol and the um, propylene glycol can decompose and become carcinogens like formaldehyde. No, thank you. I mean, that's, that's what we use in cadavers, not live people. And as you said so well, it's one thing to say, I live near a highway, I'm exposed to fumes and dust, I, I live in, in my occupation or where I live in the country, but you elect to smoke or use, uh, you know, vaping. So thank you so much for being here, Dave. And I should say, too, the people around the vapors are exposed to secondhand smoke. So thank you, Ruth and Dave. This has been awesome. I know people appreciate your hard work, and I really appreciate you joining me today. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA 1-888-RECOVERY. And in our final segment, talking about COPD and the dangers of smoking, we welcome Kate Mostowski, Senior Manager of Cancer Control Strategic Partnerships from the American Cancer Society. For more than 40 years, the American Cancer Society has hosted the Great American Smokeout on the third Thursday of November. The Great American Smokeout, an opportunity for people who smoke to commit to a healthy, smoke-free life, not just for a day, but year-round. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Dr. Richie. How are you? I'm wonderful. So good to have you. Well, thank you for having us join your show today. It is certainly to be a to be here, and um, I'm very excited to talk a little bit about the Great American Smokeout. So could you tell us what the Smokeout is? Absolutely. Well, you certainly did a wonderful introduction of the Great American Smokeout. About what I will share is that it is a public awareness event to encourage people to quit smoking and tobacco products. The Great American Smokeout, as you mentioned, is celebrated on the third Thursday of November each year. This year, we celebrated on or celebrate on November 18th. And this really is an opportunity for everyone to commit to that healthy, smoke-free life. So not just for one day, but all year round. And you bring together individuals, community groups, businesses, healthcare providers. It's brilliant. You think of everything and ask everybody to have their input to help it make it easier for people to quit. And that encouragement is 51% of it, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Addiction to nicotine and cigarettes is one of the strongest and most deadly addictions one can have. And so quitting is, bottom line, is hard for many people who smoke. It takes commitment and it starts with a plan and often takes more than one time to or one quit attempt to be able to to be successful and also requires a lot of support. And often the younger one is when he or she 
start smoking, the more intense the addiction. And so if someone is looking to begin that quit journey, it's a good idea to talk to their healthcare professionals to get their advice and guidance on the options. Because some people just need uh, habit uh, changes. Other people might need medication. But I know you told me that the resources you have are incredible. Um, Tell us what the research shows about using support systems. Well, certainly using various support systems and finding out which different mechanisms or combination of mechanisms work for the individual is is a good starting point. The American Cancer Society can help provide some guidance and, of course, links to resources that someone might be looking for, whether that be counseling or just local resources to help them through that journey. Mm-hmm. But you have uh, telephone quit lines. You have the Fresh Start program, uh, nicotine anonymous meetings. I'd never heard of that before. I looked at your website. And you have smoking counselors, coaches. Tell us a little bit more about that. So really just looking at all of these different resources that one can have. So looking at this as a process and success being different to who the individual is and for different people, the different ways in which someone can quit or the resources available to them can be many. So bottom line, not easy, but the individual or folks, they certainly can do it. And the best chance of quitting and staying quit is knowing what you're up against, what your options are and where to go for help. And that is really where we can come in. Um, So the American Cancer Society can help uh, work through those steps um, to take two quit smoking and find those quit smoking programs, resources, and support to increase your chances of quitting successfully. And so to learn where those are, what those are, uh, folks can reach us at 1-800-227-2345 or via live chat at www.cancer.org. Beautiful. So we'll repeat that, www cancer.org is the most awesome website. I love the uh, ACS website. So easy to navigate. 1-800-227-2345. And know not to be shy because sometimes two or more options get the person to quit more easily than just using one resource. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. Your real champion, I call this segment Take a Deep Breath. Tina Moyer marks October 9, 2008 as the first day of her new life. As of today, that's 12 years and 43 days without a cigarette. Impressive? I'd say so, since before that she smoked three packs a day for years and then stopped cold turkey. Tina is a very productive woman from central Pennsylvania who loves her family. At the time, she was working in a sewing factory. After work, she enjoyed keeping house, doing yard work, and with time to spare, she'd go fishing and share her time with Mother Nature. At work, Tina would wear an MP3 player and sing along with the music. At one point, she noticed her singing made her short of breath. Then it became harder to enjoy sitting in the bath or lying down in bed. On the American Lung Cancer website, she read about the hazards of smoking that she thought would never apply to herself. Tina quickly made up her mind to quit smoking. She was 44 years old. Her 25-year-old son said if she quit, he'd quit too. By February 2010, her symptoms increased, even with simple chores. Testing confirmed her COPD, emphysema. Her primary care doctor didn't offer much support, but she searched to find a doctor who did offer hope and began pulmonary rehabilitation, which greatly changed her outlook on COPD and how to cope with it. 
Tina is laser focused to stay positive. Once she had the diagnosis, she found the COPD Foundation and is now a face of COPD. She manages a Facebook page with over 3,000 followers. Befriended noted author Jane Martin, whose two books gave her great support. Tina is the Pennsylvania State Advocacy Captain for the COPD Foundation and has written publications called Together Mom and Son Become Smoke Free and Combating COPD in the Workplace. Her story has appeared in local and regional newspapers and in a video for the Foundation. Sharing her story and lending support to others is how she copes. When people ask if she ever thought about going back to smoking, she thinks about what could happen if she did. How horrible to need an oxygen tank. Many fellow COPDers who couldn't kick their addiction are no longer here. Tina gave a speech at the Central Pennsylvania Lung Expo in Harrisburg to a large audience of fellow patients, caregivers, doctors, nurses, therapists, some from tobacco industry. She described the emotional toll on her family. Together, they realized the need to live life to the fullest every day, not take anything for granted. Scary and hard to think about the changes that may still come, but the devastating news actually brought them closer. Coping is not what we do to take our mind off the diagnosis. It means doing all the things they love to do together as long as they can. Living every day and making the most of what they have. A strong family and we rely on each other. Her beautiful and stirring message received a standing ovation. Tina's message is a lesson for everyone, not just those facing illness. Tina is a force. Multiple videos for the foundation, visits the governor each November for COPD awareness, letters to editors of newspaper, organizes fellow workers to wear orange. She wants to help others find support and proper care for their COPD with pulmonary rehab, exercise, and healthy eating. Tina heard her diagnosis, went through the steps of anger and sadness, but realized very quickly she had to be her own hero. She watched her father suffer from a rare neurologic condition with no cure, and her husband cope with sarcoidosis. At least she could make progress with medications and rehab. I was very moved by my conversation with Tina, a true giver. She's made a lot of friends and lost a lot of friends. But her goal is not just to raise awareness for herself, but to help others with COPD, encouraging them to join her in the foundation and learn to breathe again. Her message, always keep hope in your heart. We salute you, Tina Boyer, your real champion. As always, we're grateful for our exclusive sponsorship from Independence Blue Cross and the support from Recovery Centers of America and Rotham Orthopedics. Thank you for joining us each Sunday. Invite a friend to listen. All of our shows are posted on YourRadioToDoctor.com and Odyssey.com. Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Happy Thanksgiving to all. I'm so thankful to have you as listeners. And now as you tune in to the sounds of Sinatra, listen for the words of one of my favorite songs, The House I Live In. I'm sure Sid will play this holiday piece with the beautiful message about gratitude. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a wonderful holiday week. Always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.